0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning again. I neglected to introduce myself. If you're new to our church, my name is Dave, and uh, I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. I really want to encourage you to go over and meet Rollin and Rachel uh, Rollin is 6'5", so he will make you feel really like a little baby if you're standing next to him. But um, I really am excited about what God's doing through their work. The last Sunday of every year, um, we mark as something we call Recommitment Sunday. And the idea of Recommitment Sunday, it's interesting to me that even though it's the last Sunday of the year, rather than looking back, I find that we always tend to look forward at the year that's coming. And I think that speaks to something deeply embedded in the human heart, that while it is helpful at times to look backwards, it is most inspiring to look forward. And I think that's the direction time moves. That's the direction our lives flow. You can learn a lot looking backwards, but really the, the rest of your life is viewed through the front, isn't it? And so it's important for us, as we mark the closing of a year, to think about, and this is my opportunity as the pastor here, to give you a charge, a direction for your focus in the year ahead. And this year, the title of the message is, For the Love of God. Most of us, when we say that, we're usually saying it to our children in exasperation. (laughs) Love of God. A lot of women are saying that to their boyfriends or their husbands. But really, I think it's a powerful phrase. What is happening in your life for the love of God? What is going on in your life that can be explained primarily because you are growing in your great love for God? I want to draw from Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And I want to make sure this thing is on. Is it on? There we go. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, yesterday I read an article that saddened my heart a lot. It was uh, an article... Written in the Daily Beast by Jay Michelson. And he's a a social activist who writes a lot on religion and on spirituality. Um, But from a perspective that's a little different from mine. And I think his headline caught my attention more than anything. The headline read, The religious right is right to be scared. Christianity is dying in America. Now, as a pastor, I don't know, you, I, I see some on the blogs, you know, I see financial headlines right over my head. I don't care about what's happening in the Nikai, you know, but when I read a headline like that, it grabs my attention. And the truth is, the article is written with a, a slightly triumphalistic undertone. It was a little bit snarky, kind of irritated me a little bit, but I can't, I can't deny... That a lot of his observations are true. That there seems to be a massive shift in the spiritual landscape of our country. And while it may be overstating it, I think it's not wrong to say it looks like Christianity in America is kind of sick, it's struggling. And maybe it's true. Now, I expect that there will always be that tension between those in the church and those outside of it, as we look at each other's worlds and have strong opinions about what we see. That I expect. And I think that's been true ever since the very beginning of the Christian movement. But what I see happening more and more today is that the church itself is really divided. That within the church itself, there is a growingly um, strident argument about what it means to be a Christian. I would say there are two main voices in the church that are at odds with each other right now, as far as I can tell. I'm not that bright, so you could disagree with me. It's fine. But what I hear are two distinct voices. In the one camp, there are those who argue vehemently for the love of people. Everything is about the way we treat others, the downtrodden, the underrepresented, the powerless, and that's a good thing. I, I'm not objecting to that at all. But that's the primary message that One Voice brings, is that Christianity is primarily expressed through the way we treat and regard other human beings. On the other side of the camp, uh, of the battlefield, are those who love ideas and what we call the truth. They read a lot of books. They debate endlessly over scotch and cigars about what it means to, to think this way or to think that way. And in the end, what they really want to fight for is orthodoxy and ideas and theology and philosophy. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with either of those things. I think both are very important expressions of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. But what dismays me, what I think really saddens me, is that in the midst of this very loud conversation about what it means to follow Jesus in this world, we've got people shouting for the love of people, We've got others shouting for the love of truth and ideas. But it's really hard to find voices shouting for the love of God himself. A lot of people who argue on either side of those will position themselves, posture themselves as those who argue for the truth because they love God or argue for people because they love God. But if I could just be very frank with you, very honest, it's been my observation that as I get to know some of the people making those very strident arguments, that I'm not always convinced that it's a deep love for God himself that's driving that. That in some ways, that argument is a surrogate for the love of God. Because the truth is, I don't find God that lovable, but man, I'm going to fight for something. I find people who love other people sometimes very disrespectful towards God himself very dismissive of him, very forgetful of him in their private lives. And I see some people who love the truth, who leave me feeling so cold. Like, spending an hour with them is like being wrapped in a wet blanket in the winter. And I think, in the midst of all of this loud conversation, I wonder how alone, how detached, how sad God sometimes feels. Because I really do believe that what God wants more than anything from us is not our crusading, not our willingness to roll up our sleeves and fight for a cause. Those things matter. Don't get me wrong. But I think what he wants more than anything from his children is our love and our fellowship and our intimacy. You know, I I always thought, as I had young kids and they grew into older kids, that what I want for them is to have a good life. What I find as they get older is, some of them might end up growing up to be, I don't know, borderline homeless, I don't know. (laughs) They might not have the greatest jobs, go to the greatest schools, accomplish amazing things, but what I find is, I'm not that worried about that. It would probably be overstating to say I don't care. I do care. But what I find my heart yearning for more and more is I don't want to lose my relationship with them. It breaks my heart that Noah lives far from our family most of the year now. And it breaks my heart that Jordan's going to follow him soon and leave the house. And one by one, they're going to leave. And that's inevitable. It's, It's a circle of life. But what I find in my heart is what I yearn for from my kids is not to boast to my other friends in the nursing home about how accomplished my children are and what losers your children are. That's the national pastime of immigrant parents, as far as I've, I've seen. Uh, look at the Cadillac my son bought. What did your son buy you? My son loves me. I don't know what you said. <laughs> That's what I want to hear is that I actually have a relationship with my kids. That we love each other. Who really cares how much they make what they accomplish in this life? And I think that's the heart of God while we're out there fighting the good fight in his name. I think he wants to say to some of us, I wish you'd aim some of that fight heavenward and spend a little time listening to me, wanting me, being with me, because that muck and mire you're fighting in is not going to give you life. Even as the ex- the opinions and the words get stronger and harsher in the public arena, I find devotion to God is getting weaker and weaker in our private lives. And if I could give our church one call, one clear call for the next year, it would be simply this call, love God with everything you have above every other possible goal that could grip your heart. Let next year be completely defined by the relentless, focused pursuit of the love of God above every other motive. Because if we pursue that, I think everything else starts to come online. You know, this is a time of the year where everybody's thinking about renewal. It's just natural. And the haters and cynics among us, you know, the kind of people, what's the big deal? It's just another day. Why should January 1st be different from any other day? I'll be quiet. Stop it. You're not that cool. Come on. We need that as human beings. We need it. We need the turning of a corner because otherwise life feels like hell on earth. A bad rerun stuck in a loop that just keeps repeating itself like Groundhog Day. Who wants that? Who wants to, who wants to hear that tomorrow will be exactly like Today? Kill me now. That's it. This is it. The whole life, right here, today. Today was okay. But if this is the ceiling of my life, I'm done. We need even these arbitrary landmarks in our calendar to tell us that the God of the universe is the God who looks forward and invites us not to dwell and wallow in what is already done, but to learn from it and move forward. But even though it's a time where we're all thinking about the future, it's also really challenging, isn't it? Because even as we hope or dare to hope, we're immediately seized with memories of the last time we tried this. Am I not right? How many of you endeavored to get out of debt last year? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? We don't want to know that much about you, but are you still in debt this year? yeah. How many of you wanted to read more and watch less TV? How many of you have binge-watched 80 seasons of different shows on Netflix this year? Yeah. And we set all these goals, but as we're thinking about them, we're starkly reminded of the last time we tried to be different, and it fizzled. And it can be a little overwhelming, not just because of past failures, but because if I really set my mind to grow as a human being... There are, seem to be an infinite number of forks in the road before me. So many places where I want to improve in my life. Think about some just regular personal goals. Maybe for some of you, your goal this year is, I want to get into a relationship. I want to fall in love. I want to be with somebody. Now, if you're married, shame, that's not for you. This is for single people. But maybe if you are married, your goal is, I really want to experience renewal in this marriage. I don't want to have Archie and Edith Bunker. You guys are probably too young, most of you, to know what I'm talking about. But I don't want that kind of marriage, something stale, something old. I want to make significant advances in my career this year. I'm tired of just having a J-O-B. I want to move forward professionally. I want to get serious about my physical health and fitness this year. That's it. Let's do this thing. I want to get my finances in order. I want to... Travel internationally. I want, And you have so many places where if you really want to grow as a human being, where I want to learn a new language. I want to start a new hobby. And on and on. and go. I could sit here until church is over listing all the possible ways you could grow as a person. But what if we even sharpen the focus and say, never mind all that stuff. Let's talk about just spiritual goals. I think I want to start journaling this year. Every time I'm in the bookstore and see those moleskin notebooks, I just think, I could do that. I could get a fountain pen and a, a nice notebook and just start writing my thoughts. And it's usually the first page, like 80-page entry, and then that's it. January 3rd, you forgot your journal. I'm going to read the Bible this year until you get to Leviticus. If you set your goal to read the Bible, start in the New Testament, I beg you. Don't start in Genesis. That's dumb. All right. I want to grow my prayer life. I want to serve God in a challenging and meaningful context. I want to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to experience revival in my heart. There are so many spiritual goals. And as you, as you stand here thinking there's a whole new year ahead and I'm just bursting to become made new, where do you aim your energy? See, I'm a very... Um, a greedy person at heart, when I'm in a place like that, I want it all. I get so sidetracked because every time I want one thing, I want the other thing, and I want the other thing, and I just run in circles chasing intensity and dissipating myself. When we approach life as a journey of self-improvement, it's paralyzing, isn't it? Because there's no end to the ways that I want to grow and improve as a person. I think the Jews had a very similar situation. They had, by some counts, 613 explicit commands given in the Old Testament. And then their scholars and religious leaders, just to make sure we got this right, heaped upon that 613, thousands more of their interpreted rules to make sure we don't ever violate the rules of God. And so for the Jewish person, the question, what does God want from us, That was a very loaded question. It was the source of endless debate among religious leaders. You go to the marketplace, and the most adamant, um, loud, animated conversations would be around the question what do you think is the most important thing God wants? He wants hundreds, arguably thousands of things from us. What matters most to God? If God Himself were standing at this pulpit right now and not this guy, (laughs) What would he be preaching about? What would he say to this church matters supremely above all things to him? And the Jews loved to debate this. And there was, it was the kind of debate that had absolutely no resolution. It would just go in circles, just like, what does it mean to be an American? Try having that conversation at a dinner party and see all the weird places it goes. And if at the end of it, anybody walks out of the dinner party going, well, that was great. Now I know what it means to be an American. We just know that we can't be friends with those people anymore. That's what you find out at the end of that conversation, right? So the Jews loved this kind of conversation. And one day a Pharisee wanted to make a name for himself by ensnaring Jesus in this kind of endless debate. And so he asked him, out of the blue, Yo, Jesus, what do you think, sir, is the most important command of all the thousands that we have before us? And I love the text we just read, because that's Jesus' answer to this man. You really want to know what God wants above everything else. And he cut right through it. He said, it's simple. You don't have to debate it forever. It's so simple. Love God with everything in your heart. That's the greatest thing God wants for any of us, is that we should love him with everything at our disposal. The totality of our being. And anything short of that is not describing what it feels like to know God. God isn't looking for people who admire him from a distance, what he calls us invites us into is to lose ourselves in this relationship of deep, intimate love for him. I don't think I've ever looked at Jeannie and said, I really dig you a lot. I like you. I love that woman. I love you. (laughs) A lot. I don't feel neutral about that ever. She has all of me. Even this morning, when I could tell she did not want to walk the dogs again, and I so much did not want to either. You know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of love that it's all in. Everything you've got is wrapped up in it. Isn't that the love everybody dreams of? Isn't it? Jeannie's dream came true. (sighs) I'm kidding, of course. I'm not that great. But but do you see that that's what God is inviting us into with him? And if that's not how you would describe your relationship with God, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm saying there's more than you imagined it could be. If that's not the way you describe knowing God, you're out there on the edges thinking you've seen the whole show. You've watched the trailers and walked out of the movie wondering what the big deal is about. Do you understand that what God is inviting us into is that kind of love for him? And he's saying this, that everything else matters, but it doesn't matter supremely. That if you fight the good fight, and you fight for the rights of people, you fight for the dignity of your fellow man, you fight for theological orthodoxy, and you have won that fight round after round after round, but your heart does not love God with everything that is in your being, None of the rest of it matters. Well, I stand in front of my wife and say, I fed you, I earned money for you, I did the dishes for you, I weeded the yard for you, I did all that stuff. I never loved you, but man, I did everything for you. Isn't that worth something? To a guy, that makes sense, right? That should be worth something. I mean, that's a very inconvenient life I live for you. But the woman say, you know what? Yeah... C-minus. What else could a girl ask for besides to have a staff member who's worked so hard for her? Is there a girl in this room who would be okay with that as a summary statement of your marriage? Single ladies, is that what you're waiting for? Ooh, if I could just get a man who's diligent, does all the chores. Come on. God is inviting us Not to work hard for him, but to love him. And if we don't catch that, then all the hard work we do supposedly in his name matters so very little at the end of everything. I think what he's saying is don't set your mind on the secondary things. Set your mind on the most important thing. Can I ask you, does that describe your relationship with God today? that if everything else is taken off the table, the one thing you can say is, my heart longs for him. I love him with everything in my being. And I I can happily say to you that that's what is starting to wake up in my spirit, and I'm so grateful. I can't boast about that. That's not something I did. I, I would like for all of us to ask God to wake that up in us. What if J. Michelson is right and Christianity is dying in America? It won't be revived because we got our stance on the LGBT community right. It won't be revived because we got our approach to our Islamic friends right. It won't be revived because we have defined the living daylights out of the gospel, written book after book on what it means. Christianity will not be revived in America until the people of God fall fresh in love with God himself again. We will not see Christianity awakened in America by being blowhards, full of strong opinions. In the end, it will be our hearts aflame for Jesus Christ that will catch fire with the rest of our countrymen. And until that happens... We haven't experienced what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ. Amen? And for some of you, you know what I'm saying because you are so bored in this place. You feel so numb about all of this. You are dead inside, not because you don't have a fight to fight, but because it's been a while since you felt that way about your Savior. That's why nothing else can satisfy you. That's why your job is so unsatisfying. Your marriage is so unsatisfying. Your bank account balance is so unsatisfying. Because the deepest satisfaction cannot be delivered by earthly things. That's not what we were made for. You could have the most awesome marriage on earth, but if you don't know God this way, you still won't feel right in your heart. I mean, just ask Jeannie. She has an awesome marriage. Like the best you can imagine. But her countenance is not determined by our marriage. It has always been determined by her intimacy with Jesus Christ. When you see her smiling, it's not because of me. Sometimes it's because of me. But she smiles because she's okay with God because I can't provide that deep, deep filling of her heart that she longs for. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin." and I will heal their land. So I'm going to give you some practical next steps, and then I'll be done. If you are confused about where to aim your focus in the coming year, let me just echo the words of Jesus and direct you this way. Set your heart to loving God as the highest goal of the next year, of growing in this love for God above every other thing, And here's what I would say in terms of practical next steps. One is go back to what worked before. Now, past results are no guarantee of future success, right? I mean, listen, just because something worked before doesn't mean it's going to work again. But I do believe that God consistently meets us in ways that he has hardwired us for. When I see interpretive dance, it has never once in all my 48 years moved my spirit. I've, I've never, I've, I watch it and just go, oh. Just. I, I apologize if you're an interpretive dancer, but all this, that stuff doesn't touch me at all, not even a little. I can't wait for it to be over. But man, a painting, sometimes a painting makes me want to cry. I can't, I can't figure it out. Sometimes being out in nature stirs my spirit. For some of you, it's a song. That's what Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways, was all about. For others, it's seizing upon a new idea and learning a thing until there's nothing left to learn. Like, "Ah, suck the marrow out of the bone. I really understand this. And suddenly, God feels close. And what I'm asking you, I guess, is think back to the season in your life where God felt so close to you. Maybe it was when you were part of a thriving ministry and people were flocking to God under your leadership, and it felt great. You felt alive. I've been thinking about when I felt most alive spiritually. For me, often it has come when I've traveled overseas and seen the bigness of God at work in other places. He's come to me powerfully in times of solitude. But here's where I think the most important thing for me, the closest I've ever felt to God were at those points in my life where there was a fork in the road, And God called me to make a sacrificial, costly decision of obedience to him. Where there was a path one way and a path another way, and those two paths were nowhere near the same. And I knew God wanted me to go this way, but good fortune and comfort lay this way. And whenever I faced one of those decisions and feel like I made the choice in obedience to him, those are the times in my life I look back and I think that is when I felt the most intimate with God, when he felt the most real to me. So I've been thinking about what's missing in my life and how, how I can go back to some of those things that I was doing when I felt very intimate with God. I'm a little afraid of that last one, this, this big decision of obedience, because I, I, I'll confess I don't want to hear anything that pulls me away from the life I'm living right now. I want to stay right here till I die. The truth is, those are the times when you feel God is closest, I think. So we remain open. I'm still praying every day that God will let me die here, but he's God and I'm not. (laughs) So we'll see where that goes. The second thing is consecrate your life. I had originally written, Go Consecrate Yourself, but that sounded a little aggressive. The word consecrate means to dedicate or devote something specifically and solely for God's use. I've noticed as I've gotten older that if it's not in my calendar, it's not in my life ever. All those books I bought intending to read, all that music I downloaded intending to hear, all those friends I meant to catch up with, If it doesn't get in my calendar, it doesn't get in my life. That's just the bottom line of it. So one of the disciplines I've adopted in my adult life is I calendar everything that matters. If I want to work out, it's got to get in my calendar. If I want to read just to grow as a person, I got to put it in my calendar. And if I want to grow in my love for God... It's not going to happen passively or accidentally. I'm not going to be like in March going, oh man, I fell in love with God on accident. That's awesome. How did that? It really doesn't happen that way. Any more than your marriage will suddenly hit a revival period just by doing nothing at all. Relationships don't grow that way. Without intentionality, without a sense of purpose and devotion, saying this money, this time, this energy, this part of my day is devoted for this purpose. If we don't have that discipline, it just won't happen. Some of you may remember our friend Jason Pankow, who led us through the Omega course. He was very fond of saying, I love this phrase, nothing drifts uphill. (laughs) Nobody ever said, hey, look at that rock. It's like rolling up the hill. Things roll downhill. That's what passivity produces. If you want to move upward, you're going to have to move. It won't ever happen. You know this because in the parts of your life that really matter, you will move heaven and earth out of your way to make sure this gets priority. Son, I would love to be at your recital, but daddy's got work. And, and you know, daddy's work is so important. You know what the kid hears? You stink. I love my job. I don't like you very much. There was a contest and you lost. Sorry, kid. That's being a little harsh, I know. But that's what the kid hears. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you say with your eloquent vocabulary. That's what the kid hears. You lost. Sorry. Daddy's job is how we make money. Can't you make a little less money? No, 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 no. Don't be ridiculous. Go play. We already know what devotion is, what consecration is. The only question left is what have you consecrated your life to? What gets that devotion, that priority, that protected, sacred, fiercely defended space in your life? What do other things lose the battle for? What cuts in line in front of your family, your faith, your health? Finally, let me give you one last practical next step. Don't go it alone. Do it together with others. I've always believed that a commitment made in secret is a commitment that we intend to break. Don't you agree? That's it. I'm going to read 52 books, one book a year, a week for this whole year. I'm just not going to tell anyone because I don't want to be embarrassed publicly when I fail completely to do it. So we say things like, this year I'm going to do this and do that and do this. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to bedazzle them when they see the change in my life. Get over yourself. You're lying. A commitment made in secret is a commitment made to nobody. It's a commitment that's so easy to break. But something magical happens when we share it with someone else. Because God made us social beings And when we make a promise out loud in front of others, there is a beholdenness to the community that has a powerful hold on us. That's why so many people get married in a public ceremony. If it was just me and you in front of a judge, I'd be like, you know, I changed my mind, control Z. I undo you. But it's doing this in front of our friends and family has this powerful hold because we realize I made that promise in front of all of you all. You heard it, and you love both of us, and it matters to you what happens here, and you're pressing down on us, and I feel the weight of that, and that's good for us. A promise made and shared is a promise likely kept. A promise made in secret is going to be broken, more likely than not. It's what we would call redemptive peer pressure. God uses it to help us honor our obligations and commitments. And so if you feel God pressing on your heart this morning to make a renewed commitment to love God with all of your heart in the year 2016, and if that's taken a very specific direction or shape in your life, I want to challenge you to tell someone you're close to. Don't keep it a secret, even if it's audacious. Like, I'm going to read the Bible once a day for the rest of this year. Even if it's something lunatic like that. If God's stirring you in your heart, share it with someone. If you fail, fail together in accountability. But give word to what God is stirring in your heart and invite your friends to help you stay faithful to it. I'm just going to close this way. I think some of us are nearing the end of the spiritual journey in terms of how much longer we can pretend we care. If something real doesn't happen between you and God, I think you're really close to the point where you're going to give up the charade. A lot of us are midlife, and midlife is a time when you find your courage to define yourself. You no longer feel any pressure to do stuff because people expect you to, but you're showing the world this is what I truly stand for. These are my values. This is what I built my house on. Like it or not, this is everything I am. No more BS. No more charade. I'm not going to try to defend or explain myself. I'm not going to try to cast myself in a better light. This right here is all of me. And I think some of you are getting awfully close to that point where you're going to give up pretending. Now, That's one way your life can go is you declare independence from God and say enough with the pretending. But here's another way it could go. Maybe this year you can stop pretending and start actually knowing him. Maybe you can seize upon what you've been missing all this time and finally just bite into it and decide once and for all if it's good. Isn't it aggravating when you meet someone who won't eat pineapples or bananas or avocados? like, Have you ever tried one? No, it looks gross. I'll never try it. Come on. At least bite once and then decide. Don't deny yourself from a distance because it looks gross. Taste it. Then you decide. I want to challenge those of you who are far from God this morning who have been coming to this building week after week because someone you're connected to expects you to be there or because you want your business to go well, you want good luck to follow your life, you don't want to get sick, whatever. I don't know what drives you here, but if you're not close to God, I don't know what drives you here. I want to tell you, God himself is enough to awaken your heart. Knowing him, loving him, is the most fulfilling experience in human life. There's nothing I could present to you better than that. And if you've never experienced it, this could be your year. I hope it will be. I hope that somehow God will do something powerful in your life and something asleep or dead inside of you will wake up and this will be the year you came alive again or maybe came alive for the first time. I'm thankful for all and Rachel and what you guys are doing in that pivotal time in people's lives, but our best years don't have to be way back in college. Our best years could be now, right now. This could be the season of the greatest revival of your life. I and the other pastors and the leaders of this church will pray faithfully throughout the year that that will happen for all of us. I want you to pray that for yourself and your family as well. Would you bow with me? Let's close together in prayer. Some of you, I I understand, um, are still a little bit far from all of this, and I I think God is still reaching out after you and wants you very badly to wake up in your heart. And in God's time, I am faithful that I'm full of faith that's going to happen. For some of you, God has been really pounding on your heart for a while now, and maybe this message was the final hammer blow. And God is laying on your heart a yearning for Him, like what Audrey was sharing about earlier, just a growing hunger. I don't want to muddle through anymore. I want to feel something. And It's been so long since I felt something. Would you cry out to God for a powerful renewal and experience of knowing Him? If you got so used to being spiritually dead or asleep that it feels normal, say goodbye to that. Put it away. It doesn't have to be like that. And so many of the things you're struggling with right now, the root of it all is that something broke between you and God. Yes, there are problems in your life. The reason you feel hopeless is because you and God are far apart and he's inviting you to come close. Do you remember when just the mention of his name could quicken your heart? So we pray, God, now as we sit quietly for a few minutes before you that you yourself By your spirit, speak to us, call out to the depths of our hearts, awaken what is sleeping and revive what is dead. Call us all to love you more than any other goal for the coming year.